Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going to talk about adventuring across the border in Baja, California. And to dispel any confusion, Baja is a state in Mexico. It's the peninsula that borders the California border, and it's between the Pacific Ocean and the Gulf of California. And it's officially known as the free and sovereign state of Baja, California. Now, I shared a previous episode, number 53, where Colt Bell shared his experience as a race car driver in the Baja 1000. But Baja is so much more than that race, and it includes beautiful and unexplored beaches, forest, and desert. Today's guest is Nathan Stewart, a Baja local and lives in Ensenada. He's here with us today. Nathan is the founder of Legends Overlanding, a boutique tour company that provides bucket list overlanding adventures in Baja. And I have a huge smile on my face right now because Nathan has figured out how to take his passions of overlanding trucks, rugged nature, and connecting with people to create a magical service to other aspiring adventurers. And he's here to share with us more about the wonders of Baja and to give us a glimpse into how legends are made in Baja. Nathan, welcome to the campfire. Thank you. Good to be here, Scott. Yeah, I'm so excited. We're going to talk about trucks. We're going to talk about playing around in the desert, being rugged. <laughs> I mean, man, this is this is fun. I'm gonna. I'm so excited about this. Um, if we could just start with a little bit of background, um, tell us about who Nathan Stewart is. I uh, was born and raised on the Central Coast in California. Um, I'm fifth generation there. Family's been farming there for a long time. And my dad was a big influence, definitely pushed our family outside. He was um, guided backpacking, guided rock climbing, guided river rafting. He's a pilot, a sailor, a scuba diver, um, an ice climber. <laughs> So he was always, my childhood, I feel like, was always watching my dad prep for a trip or train for a trip. And that's, I, I feel like that's just bled into the rest of my life. I feel like I always have gear on the floor in the living room. And that's just kind of been uh, happening every two to three months for my entire life, you know. Um, I, I texted my dad last night. I'm like, how? How old was I the first time you took me backpacking? It was like you were six weeks old the first time I took you. And at five years old, you were carrying your own pack. I, like, oh, I love right. it. <laughs> so That's the, amazing. It is in your blood. I, you know, I, I, I feel like it's kind of, it's cliche. Everybody says, like, I grew up outdoors. And that's kind of being a kid, at least in, uh, in my generation. We, we all grew up outdoors. Everybody did. I just kept doing it. It just kept, I kept doing a lot of outdoor stuff and kept always, I was always the one that would pull the guys together to plan the trips and um, got into surfing and then it was surf trips and uh, just 
yeah, a lot of a lot of trips and a lot of planning trips. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so interesting because I mean, so many people that come on this podcast sort of have like an experience or a moment where like they realize, I mean, myself included, we're just like realize like, you know, the outdoors is my happy place. Nature is my happy place. Adventure. It's just, but for you, I mean, you know, it really truly is in your blood. It's like, it's almost like you've never known anything different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it has, it's not like every day's outside. I mean, you look at my Instagram, you'd think it was, but you know, I'm sitting here doing a podcast inside. <laughs> um, <laughs> Steph, if I can do it, if I can make it happen, I was um, always doing that. And the adventure side of it, you know, I was thinking about adventure last night before this podcast and just like, what, what does it mean? And why the obsession is just, yeah, the unknown, the looking down a creek and not knowing what's around the corner or on a road and not knowing what's around that corner or a ridge line or whatever it is. It's just constantly been a pretty solid obsession. The unknown. So, yeah, the unknown. Like, it, and it, as soon as it's known, I'm kind of just want to move on to the next unknown. And as small as the world's got, it's still, you know, just Baja itself is way more than I'll see in this lifetime. So that's, that's a good sign. Man, that's, I mean, so, you know, we talk a lot about on this podcast about this voice inside that calls us to adventure. And I just like, I think, I feel like you just touched on something like for you, having like adventure in your blood, you just said, like once the unknown becomes known, you want to move on to the next unknown. Yeah. It's like you want that calculated risk, um, always calculated. But if there's not a risk and you know exactly what's going to happen, well, then it's just an all-inclusive cruise ship, right? Um, and that's, you know, just not what we're into. And that's totally fine for the people that enjoy that to want to know that everything that they expect to happen is going to happen. And I don't get excited until the unexpected happens until we break down until something, which is probably not what you want your guide to be telling you, but the, <laughs> like there's until there's something that happens that we didn't plan. That's when we start getting flexible and, and your ability to function inside of an adventure setting starts to really shine. You know, if it's all planned and it all goes exactly as planned, you don't really need to be that, uh, creative or flexible or entrepreneurial even. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I love it because it's like, you know, what you just described is growth. I mean, it's like this constant stepping outside of your, like the unknown is essentially stepping outside of your comfort zone. And so it's this like, yeah, it's almost like a habit of stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. So, all right. Can you tell us what, tell us about legends overlanding? What is it? Legends overlanding is, um, it's an all-inclusive overland adventure tour company. We basically pre-plan, roughly plan because um, of that element of adventure. Uh, expeditions, usually five to 700 miles. We do custom trips where we'll do the whole length of Baja, but just a, even just a short five-day loop in Baja is going to be five to 700 miles. And then we bring a chef. Uh, we bring, you know, bathrooms and showers. So we kind of have some amenities. I wouldn't call it glamping, but it's better than really roughing it. Mm -hmm. And, um, some people bring their own vehicles. I partnered up with Topatera, which is the hat I'm wearing right now. I'm giving oh, me yeah. a pitch. To, um, so he's got a fleet of trucks that I can use for these trips, which is nice because people can fly in from anywhere in the world to San Diego, um, pick up their truck 
and come with me on a five to 10 day trip. So yeah, so we basically have spent the past, geez, 25 years now, um, really looking for the best of the best camp spots in Baja, the best roads, uh, the prettiest views. And we try to get people out into spots where not very many people are going to see that. So if you see it on Instagram in Baja, like it's probably not one of the places we're going to go because there's going to be a line of people camp there. Uh, we don't usually pay some camp RV place to stay. We're, we're staying in really remote ranches and stuff like that. So we kind of stay away from most people on our trips and uh, spend a lot of time just out in the wild. Baja is extremely remote. There's so much empty land. It's not hard to get out there. So Yeah. So you've basically been exploring Baja yourself for 25 years, like building up contacts, like getting to know the areas. You've yeah. you also, you have to have some sort of a, an attachment. I'm going to call it an obsession to trucks and overlanding, like, and to be able to put that together. That's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, the trucks kind of came, I mean, like it's always just been a tool. And I've always kind of just thought about them as tools um, all growing up. Like we always had off-road trucks because we were always doing off-road trips um, to Baja or into the Sierras or whatever. But with the whole overland movement, it's kind of turned into this whole industry much bigger than it used to be just when it was like Coleman stoves, uh, igloo coolers, and a Toyota pickup. You know, now it's uh, these vehicles are really kitted out and they are quite self-sufficient so yeah we we get to play with some really nice rigs which is fun always get to see the new gear that's coming out and stuff most stocked four-wheel drive trucks can do most of baja Mm -hmm. Uh, the you know you get on the sand that's probably the biggest place where it becomes challenging for people and people get stuck and stuff and then you need some either a winch or some way of getting out of that situation but if you have a couple other trucks, you're, you're fine. You just hook up to another truck and pull yourself out. Yeah. I'm um, curious if like, if Instagram, cause I mean, there's so many like hashtag like van life, right. And, mm-hmm. and different, um, hashtags that, that are making it so popular and people showing like the, the renovations and the builds that they're doing. Like, have you seen change in the last few years since Instagram's been out in terms of like what people are doing? And, and I mean, is that, is that's what, yeah. what's been fueling this whole thing? I mean, Instagram's all about being over the top. It's got to be jaw dropping. And so some of the rigs that are coming out are, are not as, I mean, yeah, it's not as much practical as just over the top. Um, and that's, I mean, that's all of our media, I think yeah. generally does that. So I, I think, you know, and even if you go on my Instagram, it's a bunch of big, beautiful rigs. Um, and I hope that doesn't scare people away that have a stock Toyota. Cause stock Toyotas will go everywhere. Um, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, those are the, those are the sexy trucks that people want to see on Instagram, I guess. So that's, that's what we feed the, the Instagram monster, the cookie yeah. monster. No, I love it. So. so how did you get the idea to start legends? So I had, um, yeah, I've been, I moved down to Mexico when I was 18 and then lived in Mexico for 11 years and then was on and off coming down here every quarter for a couple of years and then moved back here a couple of years later uh, or a couple of years ago. And my partner now is one of my best friends since I was like eight, nine. Um, and 
he came down on a Baja trip and we just did like a week uh, fishing and surfing. And he was like, man, this is amazing. Like, and we talked about just how the overland industry had really blown up and like really saw a opportunity to, to guide people and to offer something to the overland industry in relation to Baja. Not a lot, not very many people were doing stuff in Baja as far as guided overland trips. It was all Baja races. Um, there was one company called Pacific Overlander that was starting to do stuff. I basically modeled my business after what I saw on their website. Um, and then Wilderness Collective out of LA, they were doing stuff that really was what I, what I was looking for. I just wanted to bring the food up another notch if I could. Because I'd been in the wine industry for 16 years and okay. um, had kind of turned into a foodie. <laughs> but it was actually uh, my partner that really came up with the idea um, and basically pitched me to pitch him. Um, so Nathan Mueller, he has a YouTube channel. He's a YouTuber and does a bunch of videos and reviews okay. and stuff. And he was like, yeah, well, let's, let's start a Baja overlanding tour company. Uh, send me your ideas and a budget and let's let's see if this works and so it was really actually him it was like under my nose and and nathan mueller was like let's let's do this and so i got excited about it and yeah when he made the offer i was working at a wonderful winery in paso robles california um tablas creek vineyards one of the best in the world in my opinion and the best team i've ever worked with and um i love i've been trying to get down to baja for probably five years after I'd left, just trying to find a way back in. And when he said, like, let's do something, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll let my boss know next week. Like, I, I'm, I'm like, it was, there was no question. I'd been looking for an excuse to get back down here. And so that was just what I needed, so. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. Can you talk like that? Can you talk about that? Like that, that you said you felt like you needed an excuse, like you're just kind of dying to get to Baja. Cause you, cause when this whole thing happened, you moved to Baja, like you, you became a local at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it gets, it gets personal cause it was basically right before COVID happened. Um, me and my wife, after 11 years, we decided to get a divorce and we were both working at the same winery at Tabas Creek mm -hmm. and we were okay with each other, but it was also a little awkward, um, mm -hmm. obviously. And mm -hmm. I think it was awkward for all the staff. And, um, so I was kind of in this spot where I love my job. I love what I was doing. I was, I was shepherd. So I was running a, a flock of sheep in the vineyard. But I've been trying and we've been trying for, for years to get back to Mexico. And so it was kind of like I was in a weird spot. I've been trying to get back to Mexico and my best friend's like, hey, let's do this. And it was like it was a no brainer. It was absolutely. Let, <laughs> I need to get out of Dodge. And I've yeah. been trying to get back to Baja um, for a long time. And so it just worked out really good. And 
just kind of a minute. It was the right time. I did also, I didn't have, I didn't have any responsibilities. You know, I didn't have a family or kids. And so I, yeah. I had a lot less stress about taking a risk um, than some people would have at that point in their life. So to be fair, I, I mean, I got to be fair that it wasn't like I'm like the bravest guy. I was kind of in this perfect situation yeah. in life where I had a lot of freedom. So, yeah, I mean, this is how it happens sometimes. But like yeah. you yeah. said, you've been trying to get back to Mexico for a long time. And I'm curious about like, because we again, we talk about the voice inside that calls us to adventure. And there was something inside of you calling you to Mexico. Like, what is it about Mexico and Baja that really calls to you? Some of it I can't explain. Some of it's just the fact that I moved down here when I was 18 and lived here till I was 26. And that's such a crucial part of growing up as a man and yeah. how you think about the world, um, growing up as a human, how you think about the world and how you see everything. And um, I don't know, I came home a little broken, I guess you could say, a little bit like just in the States and the, the whole, um, I'm not going to bag on the States. I'm just as much a capitalist consumer as the next guy, but um but it didn't feel right. I didn't, there was just something I, 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 I couldn't settle in like I could before. Um, I've got a huge, amazing community of friends there. I love the central coast where I grew up. Um, it, um, but I just couldn't, I couldn't settle. And so that was kind of what drew me back. And then being back, it's like, I was telling, I have a, a, another expat. That's a friend of mine that lives down here. And we were going to the gym the other day and I'm like, I love living in Mexico because no matter how boring my day is, I can just be like, I'm in Mexico right now. <laughs> like I've been down here a long time and I still do that. It's almost embarrassing, but like we go to the gym, like we're going to the gym in Mexico and like, it's silly, but it's, uh, it just adds an extra level of spice to life. Like there's always a little bit more challenging, even the most basic things sometimes. And, um, and I enjoy that extra, I don't know exactly how this is going to go or exactly yeah. what's going to happen. Um, and uh, yeah, I can appreciate that. And then the quality of life down here is pretty incredible. Um, they're way more family oriented than we are in the States. Uh, it really matters spending time with people. And so they make that effort, I think, a little bit better than we do in the States. And so I've enjoy, I enjoy that. But, you know, there's tons of pros and cons of the States and Mexico. Yeah, I'm curious if like if you could think of an example or two of like the difference between like living life in California versus like Mexico. Well, in California, there's a lot of signs and there's a lot of rules. And in Mexico, they well, in Mexico, there can be a lot of signs and there's a lot of rules. But um, in Baja specifically, in 1973, when they paved the, the rest of the road down to Cabo, they had better maps of the moon than they did of Baja. Um, that is not a long time ago. Um, and it just the absolute ruggedness of this peninsula and the lack of water has kept it pretty much undeveloped for the past 500 years. So, I mean, everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's grown so much. It's grown a lot in really small areas that were already blown up 30 years ago. And the rest of it continues to be empty. And every time they try to start a project, or something big there's just it's just too rough and that's been that way since the spaniards got here back in the 1500s like every time they try to do something start a mission or anything it just gets shut down by the sheer lack of water no food the wind the dust the the desert the heat you know it just makes it hard for people to stick here um and that 
that emptiness gives you a lot of freedom. You go out um, south of Ensenada and you can drive the whole coastline for, you can easily drive 300 miles along the coast and not run into a fence. It's all private property. It is people's land, but, um, but they leave the gates open. And, um, you know, if you're, you're going to stay on their property, you should check with landowners. Like, I think people think it's all just boondocking down here and it's not, it's all private land. It's just, mm-hmm. they don't have the same mentality about private property as we do in the States. So. Well, so what I love about that, I mean, we kind of started out talking about your spirit of adventure and we talked about like finding the unknown, making it known, and then looking for the next unknown. And it sounds to me like Baja is like the perfect place for you to, to do that because there's so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think before, before I moved down here this time, I would constantly been coming down even when I wasn't living here, but I was also doing trips, went to Morocco, went to, um, Oaxaca and Spain and like we would do like an annual trip which was always fun Mm -hmm. but when I come back to Baja I'd be like there's more here than I'm gonna see in my lifetime so that should be enough and I'd rather just get really good at one area on the planet than like just barely touch the whole planet Um, it's cool that I mean I could fly over to China right now and I could run up um, some temple and get the picture and shake somebody's hand and leave but like you don't get the immersion in the culture you don't get to meet the people and have those relationships and see how they live and really understand it It just takes more time so i just kind of picked a spot that i like that had more adventure than i would ever see in my lifetime and said i'll just dig in here so i love it was it like when you kind of had that moment of like the opportunity was there and you said yes like in the, in those moments, was there any, like, did you experience any sort of fear, doubt, like kind of questioning or was it? No, no. And uh, like, um, like I've had, I've struggled more with that recently. Like it's harder than I thought to start a company. And, um, I called my dad the other day too. And I was like, geez, dad, you didn't tell me entrepreneur is such a pain in the butt. Like <laughs> I this is going to be, um, I thought I'd be selling myself on the stock exchange already. (laughs) (laughs) No, in that moment, it was just like, like all prepping for any trip or leaving Um, the excitement of something new of change. It's always um, a lot of great feelings. And I like, I I'm pretty much on all trips. I need to learn sometimes to live more in the moment in the trip, but man, do I enjoy dreaming about the trip for six months up to the trip. Yeah. There's something about the anticipation and the buildup. I'm, I'm right yeah. there with you. You know, yeah. uh, the first time you and I chatted before, um, this podcast, like one of the things I really noticed was you seem to have a really deep kind of passion for like the history of the area mm-hmm. and just kind of, and I'd love if you could just kind of share a little bit more with listeners about Baja and you know, what, what, what do people find when they, when they come to Baja? A lot of questions. Um, the, and not a lot of answers, which makes it very mysterious. Um, to start with, you know, we've got petroglyphs and cave paintings um, from a people group that we don't know who they are or where they went or why they did it. Um, when the Spaniards arrived in, I don't know, 15, 1600s, coming over from the mainland, Cortez, you know, they named the sea after Sea of Cortez. When they came over, they ask the, the priest asked the um, indigenous, what's up with the paintings? 
like what do they mean why did you guys paint them on the rocks and they're like we don't know they were here when we got here mm. <laughs> so so when the native americans from north america don't know where the the, the cave paintings come from you're kind of like wow that's that's really old then yeah <laughs> um and so and the more you look into it the, the weirder it gets so um just because there hasn't been a huge university with huge funding that's been able to spend a lot of money and time in baja um basically the way california developed um that you know i'm in i'm in the first part of california baja california is the beginning the birthplace of the californians right so um the first olive trees the first vineyards the first agricultural ever done in the west coast of north america was happened started in Baja and as the priests moved north the El Camino Real continued all the way up north to San Francisco but it starts in Loreto in, in southern Baja as they they kept moving north and then when they got up into you know areas that had more water and more um it was easier to survive basically they yeah. settled there so from San Diego north it got a whole lot easier to stay alive basically and it kind of changed it stayed that way. A lot of the the original founders of the Californians, the ones that developed Baja, the ones that were really good at being pioneers, they they moved north as well. So it's the DNA of our original settlers of California came from Baja and were sifted out over hundreds of years of people that couldn't hang. And the ones that ended up hanging are is kind of the DNA we have still, you know, in, in the Californias, which is pretty amazing. There, there was actually a system in place where the priests that ran all of California, so the Catholic Church governed the whole state more than it did the mainland. And they would call over labor. So they needed labor because they needed people to tan the hides and farm the fields and stuff like that. Um, they were using the indigenous community more as like slaves and they were trying to convert them but they needed um skilled labor and so they bring them over to the mainland but then the mainland guys would be like okay well i can't own land i can't drink i can't do anything over here because this the the church owned everything mm -hmm. and it's hard and it's miserable and it's hot and there's no water and so they would bail and then that just kept happening there was like this system of the church hiring and having a really fast turnover of people that just couldn't hang and the ones that stayed are, are really cool people and they're still here you know you go into the sierra san francisco and some of these mountain ranges that have not been touched by time um barely uh they have of course but they're still tanning hide they're still raising livestock and they're still they there's still last names that go back hundreds of years you know that are still doing the same thing they were pretty cool yeah, it's so wild. And then like the story of the people, the paintings and the petroglyphs, like, again, more unknown that that's not yeah. yet known. So yeah. it's, I can understand why it's intriguing to you. Yeah, you go into spots where um, all the figures and all the paintings have six fingers. Oh, got no answers to that. There's um, there's spots where the paintings are so high off the ground that they can't figure out how they did it um there wasn't like a bunch of lumber in the desert to make scaffolding so wow. maybe they don't know there's there's a bunch of theories and but there's just so much there's just so much area that hasn't really been investigated um 
I guarantee there's cave paintings and petroglyphs in Baja that have never been seen or never documented. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'll find some. And I have maybe found some. It's pretty hard to tell whether you're the first one or not, you know, yeah. sometimes. But well, I love that I love that you use the word mystery to start off this little part of the discussion because that's yeah. exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. It it into the mystic. Yeah, totally. So um for listeners, what does a trip with Legends Overlanding look like? So um we 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 meet the whole group in, in San Diego or you know somewhere just north of the border, depending on whether we're going down the east or west coast. And um we kind of do a debriefing, set everybody up with radios so we're all we all can communicate. Um our trips max out at six customer trucks, so we keep the convoy pretty small, mm-hmm. which uh makes the day go faster our bathroom stops quicker um just a lot of things a lot easier and um then we'll start you know we usually if it's a five-day trip we'll probably have three or four different campsites so we pack a good 15 20 years of baja into a five-day trip nice so when you leave after five days with us you're gonna see a lot more than a lot of people that have spent a lot of time down here have ever seen. Um, so you're going to see the desert on the Sierra Cortez side. You'll probably see the pine forest up at 9,000 feet. You'll see the Pacific coast. You'll camp on the Pacific coast and you'll see a bunch of different microclimates um, throughout that where the, the cactus has changed completely. One, one hillside, you'll be in the Cardone cactus and you'll come over the ridge and there's no cactus at all. It's just it's pretty wild. And then at every spot, um, you know, a lot of, like I'll do scouting trips in the summertime um, in areas where you don't want to be there in the summertime. There's plenty of Baja that's uh, the temperatures are wonderful in the summer, but we basically follow the weather when we're going on our trip. So Mm -hmm. um, if it's going to be really hot in some spot, we'll stay on the Pacific side. If it's going to be cold, we'll head over to the Sea of Cortez side and we kind of bounce around that way. But I'll do whole, you know, a week long scouting trip and come back with no wow spots. You know, if if I don't pull up to the spot and it's not a wow, like this is incredible, um, I won't I won't take people there. So I'm I'm looking for it's kind of got to have it all, and um, and that that takes a lot of searching. And you know, we'll go to one area and people camp. You know, like you can go into. Uh, for instance, you could go to San Felipe, which I wouldn't recommend, but you could go to San Felipe yeah. and people camp up and down the coast on both sides. But it takes you a week to know what the absolute best spot to camp in San Felipe is, right? You know, if you, and the problem is the customers never have that kind of time. And so probably our biggest benefit is the fact that we did that footwork and save you the time so that when you do come down here, you know, like, yeah, that was probably one of the best spots in the area to camp, you know, and it was beautiful. I just have to stop you for a second because I just have to like acknowledge like the life that you've created for yourself is so awesome. <laughs> like just as an adventurer and explorer myself, like this whole idea of the unknown, but like, you know, not only are you taking people on these trips, but you just talked about how like you go on these exploratory scouting trips in advance and like yeah. that's it's research. It's like you're doing yeah. that for your customers. But I got to imagine you're getting filled up by those exploratory trips. Yeah, the exploratory trips. Um, I'm uh, I've I've learned to dread a little bit, honestly. Uh, they're they're awesome, and I'm not complaining. 
I am complaining. Um, the, <laughs> the, because it's not a relaxing camping trip. Uh, when I find the perfect camp spot, I pin it and I leave. Um, so it ends up being, you know, a thousand miles of driving in a week and, um, and just kind of driving a lot. And, uh, and I've taken guys with me on these trips and it, you know, it's like, we have to check every road, not some of the roads we got to like, okay, here's a road going up a wash. We got to see where it ends up. And 99% of them are dead ends or they aren't cool. Or you get back into a really cool zone, but the road's so terrible. Nobody would ever want to do it. And, you know, so it's just all these components that make a great spot for you to take a group of five or six trucks and, or you come up and it's this insane view and there's only room to turn around one vehicle. And you're like, well, can't use that one, you know? So yeah, they can be fun. They can be, they can be pretty hard. It's uh, a lot of times I wish I had another vehicle because we go into some spots where um, it would be a lot safer if we had two vehicles, just because yeah. something breaks down out there and you're, you're in trouble. You got five yeah. gallons of water and not a lot of time. So yeah, um, for sure. That's the beauty of technology today, though, because we have things like yeah. the Garmin inReach and like ways to communicate that we didn't have. Oh before. yeah, and Garmin Garmin is a dead technology now. With Starlink, it's it's crazy. So um, I was I was going to do it. I was going to just drive the truck up on the top of the hill and just do the podcast with Starlink because yeah, it's faster than my house internet. Um, and yeah, when I go on a um, go on a road like a long road that. Um, I'm going to be out of signal for a long time. Um, I'll let people know, Hey, I'm leaving. This is my point. This is where I'm going to end up. If I don't check in by this time, I'm between here and here. And so I have a whole uh, Rolodex of people that are kind of on call when I go out on these scouting trips. And even when I go with customers, we have a, a list of people that know where we are every night and every morning we check in. Yeah. And it's just a, it's it's not uh, has nothing to do with the crime that happens in northern Baja along the border. It has to do with um, just us being out in the middle of nowhere. We're mm -hmm. it's very remote, and if anything happens, I just want people to know exactly where we are. So yeah, and so uh, for listeners that aren't familiar with Starlink, mm -hmm. yeah, so Starlink is uh, one of this Elon Musk project. He he put a a ton of satellites up in space, and so now. Um, the U S model, I don't know how much it costs. The RV one, I think is $700 for the kit. And then I pay 135 a month and I have screaming, you know, 200 megabyte download speeds. It's funny because I think some of the people, especially in the East side of the United States, Starlink is a little hit and miss, but it's completely covered in Baja. Yeah. So every tro trophy truck, every chase vehicle right now, not every, a lot of them um on the baja 1000 race they're all running starlink now um it's just i i was coming back from a trip and the guys watched braveheart my my cooks and staff <laughs> watched braveheart driving down the middle of baja peninsula in the middle of nowhere um yeah literally 50 miles from the nearest anything and not even really a town just 50 miles from something you know like it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. I mean, you know, cool that the technology's there. I don't know if I'm watching Braveheart when I'm in Baja. Like, I think I'm probably looking out the window, checking out the landscape, no. right? But, well, my guys have done this road a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, 
it's a dangerous tool as well. You know, we, we fire it up in camp um, in the evenings so I can check in and give my report back. And we let the customers know that we have the internet up, but we only leave it up for like an hour because I, I don't want people on their phones around camp yeah, and I don't want, exactly. I'm trying to get people to disconnect, not sit on the phone. So hundred percent. So yeah. So what are some of the things that y'all do on your trips? What can people expect to do on a, on a legends trip? I think it, that, that depends on the group, you know, depending on how active they want to be. Um, we've got scuba diving, snorkeling, kayaking, um, mule rides uh, up into the mountains. And then, but sometimes they just want to hang out in camp. So, you know, we always have boat rides. So we'll either go to an island or a private, I don't mean private, but just like in, in, the, in the middle of nowhere, white sand beach somewhere. Yeah. Oh, let's see. What else do we do? Usually almost always do a hike somewhere. Usually nothing really crazy, but, um, you know, we spend a lot of time driving, so we got to get ourselves moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, depending on which ocean you are, you know, the Pacific Ocean stays pretty cold almost all year and at least halfway down the peninsula. But on the Sea of Cortez side, it can be very comfortable to swim in the ocean. And um, we'll go fishing sometimes. That's probably about half the trips have fishing included in them. And then, yeah, cave splunking, looking at petroglyphs and uh, digging through fossils in the desert. A lot, a lot of that. A lot of just... Um, kicking rocks and yeah, walking awesome. around exploring. Um, we try to leave time for that. And even like, you know, if we do like two days where we go pretty hard, where we like got into camp and like set up and then had dinner. And then the next morning did that again, the third day we'll probably have a day where like give them some options of things they want to do. And couples will kind of go off and do their own thing and yeah. walk the beach and pick up shells or just relax. Yeah. I love it. The, the food is insane. Uh, I don't know if anybody's doing this level of food on their camping trips. And I keep pushing that every trip. We try harder and harder. Um, it's hard to explain to experience it. But when you're in these incredibly beautiful places and we basically set up a whole restaurant with lighting and a table with nice chairs and uh, cutlery and the and then you're having octopus with your pasta and creme brulee for dessert and it's just it, it's pretty fun and we'll set it up in the we get weirder and weirder every time so the last trip we did we set up inside a big granite cave where there's a bunch of boulders leaning on each other and we hung lights up inside <laughs> and served them dinner in the cave um yeah anytime i'm always like i get a kick out of doing that, that so we try awesome. to make it as wild as possible yeah, I love it. So who who travels with you? I'm curious, like, you know, your typical customer and also like experience levels, because I know like some people mm -hmm. have their own rigs, but some people um, rent through your partnership. Yeah, I, I think it's about 50-50 um, on people bringing down their own overland rig or, or uh, renting from Topaterra. Um, customers are usually couples, usually between 40 and 70. I think I've had is a couple that were like 75, 76. Yeah. Um, and been married like 50 years and never fought. They were, they were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's usually, usually couples that are retired. Um, or, um, I've had some 
younger couples where it's like their kids are finally old enough to stay with grandma. And yeah. so they're doing their getting away as a couple. Um, experience level is usually pretty low. Um, I've had some, some guys come down that were pretty experienced off-roaders. The guy coming this month, the couple coming this month, they're pretty experienced. And again, in November, got a guy coming that's pretty experienced. But uh, it's nice because you can be as beginner as you want. Uh, we've got all the recovery gear. Um, I've done trips where I did 11 recoveries in five days. Um, and it's not a problem. We got all the gear for that. We're ready for that. And we coach people through stuff and get to see them get more and more confident with their rigs and more comfortable doing things that they would never put their vehicle in. And having multiple vehicles gives you a lot of freedom. You're like, well, we can try this. And if it right. I get stuck, we're all here to get, get you out. So uh, groups that way, it's pretty fun to off-road just because you have that extra sense of confidence knowing that everybody's here for everybody and we'll be able to figure it out. So Yeah. And one thing like I, I, that struck me the first time that we talked was, you know, you do have people that are very experienced in overlanding. They still want to travel with you because of your local knowledge. I'm just curious if we could kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've noticed a flaw in the overland community is um, the same independence that we look for by building out our rigs to be so independent. That independence isolates us from all the local knowledge. Mm. So it's like building out a kitchen in your overland vehicle and coming down to Baja and eating your own food is sad. <laughs> <laughs> There's really amazing food down here and why anybody would want to eat something they made when there's yeah. such good food down here is it's beyond me. So um, <laughs> I, I never wanted one of those little kitchens in my truck because it's like I'm always traveling Latin America and the food's always incredible. So I'm going to be eating that food. So I, I think it's just good for overlanders to remember like the, the independence that it gives you and the freedom these vehicles give you is awesome. Um, you've got solar, you've got your fridge, you can store stuff. Um, you've got dual battery systems and um, all the traction and recovery gear you need to get yourself out of a pickle. And that's awesome. But a lot of times they don't connect with the locals, um, whether, whether that's the fishermen and the fish camps or the ranchers or whoever. And those guys will change your trip. And so I'm saying without me, I just recommend this to anybody overlanding in Baja. Um, connect with the locals, whether you speak the language or not, they're going to be incredibly welcoming. They're going to give you information that will dramatically improve your experience. And, um, and you're also, it's kind of, it's letting people know where you are and the locals look out, uh, for everybody, not just their, their people. Um, I've, uh, I've broken down and in a spot where I put myself into a weird spot. Nobody knew I was there. And, um, the rancher knew and he noticed that I hadn't come out and he saw my tracks that I'd come in and he came and checked on me. It's like the, uh, that was my bad. And they're just amazing. Um, and yeah, I think even if you've come to Baja for 20 years, a lot of people are like, Oh, I've been coming down for 20 years. I'm like, well, that means you've maybe like what it's so 20 trips. So maybe that was a week every time. Those are strike missions and you do the best you can with the information you have and you learn a little, but, um, you know, I've, I've been down here full time for 15 years, day in and day out. 
and spent uh, past three years, it's been probably 10 to 15 days a month exploring camping outside. And uh, it's a luxury, but it's it's been that extra knowledge, finding those extra spots that like, I know no matter how long you've been coming down here, I can show you something. And that's also true for me. There's always going to be people that can show me something I don't know, even in my backyard. Baja's a big place and there's so much to see. So um, yeah, I think it just, um, it allows you to see more. And I think a lot of my customers come down with me maybe for the first time or maybe because they just want to get a, a feel for what's there and what's available and what they like. And then they come back on their own. And that's great. That's um, I kind of took away the fear of crossing the border and the fear of Mexico for them and let them see all the different ecosystems that they can experience. And I was also able to kind of instruct them on how to be a respectful, um, considerate tourist down here too. So I know when they go out, which all my customers are incredible. They're very well-traveled, very kind, very generous people. Um, We're not ripping up the roads. We're not partying. We're not, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good group of people. So. Yeah, I love it. And and so, I mean, one of the things we talked about was, you know, when people when people go through this experience and they see the wonder and they, they you know, experience the unknown and they travel with you. I mean, there is a transformation that happens inside of people when they do this. And uh, and that plays into the name of your company. And I wondered if mm-hmm. you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> um, I've always we like the name Legends Overlanding, um, but I've always been worried about it coming across um, pretty arrogant that we're some great legends down here. <clears throat> we are not. Um, we've been inspired over the years by legends that went before us. And this something about the Baja Peninsula and the roughness of this place, it just makes legends. People have to do things that are just extraordinary. Um, and the stories that come out of this place because of that, whether it's the Baja 1000 or whether it's um the spanish uh missions or um miners and ranchers and just they've been put into situations that are almost impossible and come out just being incredible people um so that's that's why we 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 feel like this this land makes legends and um we're chasing legends or however you want to say it we're we're down here kind of getting inspired by some of the people who have gone before us. Yeah. Got some big, big shoes to fill down here. <laughs> well, your your story is pretty awesome. I mean, you know, son of an adventurer, like become an adventurer yourself. And you took this leap and you and you moved down to Baja and you've created this this thing that's that's providing an incredible experience for people. I mean, there's legend in that. I'm just curious if there's if there's any kind of lessons that you've learned personally and like how how you've changed in this whole experience. Well, I think at the start of this, I was a little bit more insecure about thinking that people would think I wasn't um, prepared enough. So I was pretty like I would try to build out an itinerary with like exact times and stuff. And it just doesn't like Baja just doesn't let that work. Um, So um, one thing I've learned to be is just clear with people like, look, we're going to chase the weather and the weather changes fast. And so I'm going to give you a loose itinerary. I guarantee no matter what, it'll be great. Um, But we don't know exactly how that's going to be. And in my opinion, 
that's what keeps it adventure. If I was being guided by somebody and he was like, this is exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be exactly like this. And there's nothing that's going to surprise you. I don't want to go. Um, I want to go with people that are capable um, under situations that are constantly changing and um, can calculate the risk and make wise decisions. I don't want to go with people that can tell you exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. So I think that's worked out good. There was a meme on your Instagram that I loved. It was something like, maybe it was an actual picture of one of your customers, but the quote was, I don't know what plan A or plan B was, but plan C was awesome. (laughs) Yes. That is the best review I've gotten from any customer so far. And that was a real review. That's awesome. um, I love it. So that, um, yeah, that trip, we had 50 mile an hour winds come up in the area that we were supposed to camp in. And so we changed things up and, um, we just moved it around and kept ourselves in beautiful weather and beautiful places and away from bad. Yeah, it's just, that's the one thing, like I can feed everybody really good. The food's amazing. Baja's really amazing. But if it's blowing 50 mile an hour sand sideways in your tent, even if you have a rooftop tent and it's worth a hundred thousand dollars, you're still not having fun. Yeah. It's uh, so that's, that's probably the biggest factor that I'm concerned about is um, good weather. Yeah, that makes sense. So Nathan, what advice do you have for people that are kind of inspired by your, um, your drive for like finding the unknown, making it known and then moving on to the next, but maybe they're feeling a little bit more resistance than you did. Um, What advice would you give to those people? A lot of times, and I still do this and I have other friends that counsel me on this, uh, or remind me, I, uh, I overthink it. And I think I have to have all the perfect tools to make the perfect product. And what I need to do is take action and let everything fall into place. If you're passionate about doing a quality product, but you don't have all the perfect tools for it, just go out and start doing it um, and do the very best you can with what you have. And people are incredibly understanding when they feel like, you do care and you're trying to give them the best you can with what you have. People get upset when you promise them the best thing and then you obviously don't care enough to give it. Um, But when, you know, for instance, like, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to make sure we have this exact thing or we run out of milk or something like that for the coffee. Um, But when I like, you know, go to the customer, like, I'm so sorry, we ran out of milk, my bad, Next time we get into town, I'll make sure and get milk. We'll have milk tomorrow. People are super understanding on stuff yeah. like that. Um, people aren't understanding when they get like a a bullshit excuse. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But you know, it's like when you're like, oh, yeah, well, we can't do that because of this, you know, and like people look at you like, really? Really? Okay. Authentic. I see. And how that's it just is. authenticity right there. Yeah. 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 Um, I've found the customers to be so supportive of of me doing this, of Legends Overlanding and um, the product. And when we fall short on something, we get stuck somewhere or the plans change and stuff like that. They're, they love it. They, they have a great time anyways, but I think that's because they know we care and we're, uh, we're trying to do the best we can with what we have. And when we have more, we'll do better. Um, But so many times I feel like I've been held back by decisions because I thought I didn't have enough of the best tools 
to make the best product. And that's just not true. Like our best tool is us and we need to just take action. Our best tool is us. I love that. Yeah. So how do people, how do people get a hold of you or if they want to travel with you, find out more, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they can, they can go to um, uh, legendsoverlanding.com, you know, www.legendsoverlanding.com. We've got multiple trips up on the website that they can look at going all the way out to, I think we have trips right now out to May of next year. Um, and we're constantly adding more trips as we plan them out. And, and then also they can um, contact us directly through the website and work on a custom trip if they've got something in mind that um, a lot of people just have their kind of Baja bucket list dream trip and they've got these things stuck in their head. And um, some of those things are going to be impossible and they don't know that. And so sometimes I feel like I have to be like, okay, well, like, this is great. Like, this is what can be done in that amount of time. And this is what absolutely won't happen anyways, even if, you know, you try. So um, helping people organize their trips to make them realistic and get the things they want to get, but maybe not the places they think they want to get them. Um, that's great. And also people call us and we run through the whole plan and you know plans change or they decide to do it without me. We're an open book. We're an open resource for everybody. We don't get upset about that. Um, people that are going to want to do trips with us will and people that just want advice. We're here for that as well. Um, so yeah, feel free to contact us about anything, whether you're booking a trip with us or not. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then you just, you can book a trip, um, make your deposit. And then I always encourage anybody if they don't have the truck right away, you want to contact Topa Terra and make sure a truck's available because he only has a limited supply and you want to make sure, Actually, I would say make sure your truck's available before you book the trip. Either way, I'd give you a receipt. I'd give you a refund or whatever. But the, um, you just want to know you got the vehicle for the, the dates you want. So. Makes total sense. Like you yeah. have created this just epic life for yourself. You're taking people on these incredible adventures, like exploring Baja. There's, I mean, Nathan, at some point, Hollywood's going to pick up on your story. And they're going to want to make a movie about your life. And when they do, I want to know who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in your movie. Man, I don't know. I think for a good story, you need a villain. I don't have any, and I don't really want one right now. I'm okay with just like a bunch of good people with a happy story, but that doesn't sell. <laughs> <laughs> I need something traumatic to happen. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. And so you told me, I, I want to say you asked me this question in advance, so I had to think about it. I don't have this on top of my head, but I was thinking young, goofier me, I would say Ashton Cooper. Nice. That's awesome. And then, I love that. Like older, more uh, mellowed out me, probably uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Oh man, got the mustache. Well done. I could see both of those. I love it. Yeah. I love, so maybe yeah, it, so. so maybe it is a lifetime story, and Ashton plays the 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 younger you, and then the older you. I yeah. love it. I, I'm yeah. it's coming together. What's the movie going to be called? Um, the Shepherd. The Shepherd. So yeah, so I was a shepherd for 15 years with sheep and manage livestock and i feel like that's transitioned into shepherding people through baja and it's kind of just been a ongoing theme so that's amazing uh, shepherding people through baja the, the shepherd. shepherd starring ashton cooker i i had a good nickname i've always wanted a nickname nobody ever gave me a nickname and then like a couple years before i moved down here back home they started calling me the chef the shepherd chef chef shepherd 
And I loved it. I was like, this is awesome. I love having a nickname. And then I moved down here and it died again. So <laughs> that would be awesome right. if people started calling me the shepherd. <laughs> All right, shepherd. We got this. When I, when I travel with you someday, that's that's uh, that'll be it, the shepherd. Right, you try, try to get it to stick. People are going to be like, why would we call him shepherd? Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I really, really appreciate it. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Nathan's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Nathan, thank you so much for being here.